Amen. Good morning, Moody Church family. It's a joy to be with you and open God's word with you. Today we're taking a one-week break from our series through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to the book of Genesis. That's the first book in your Bible. And we're going to look today at chapter 32 of the book of Genesis. Well, several years ago, my wife and I were traveling and we realized that one of the places that we were going was the birthplace of bungee jumping. And so my wife looked at me and said, oh my goodness, we have to do it. To which I responded, who is this we that you're speaking of here? See, I have never seen a perfectly fine bridge and thought to myself, you know what I need to do is jump off of that I said, I don't know about me, I'm good, but if, if you want to do it, then feel free. And so when the time came, we traveled to this place and then we went early in the morning. So my wife was actually the first one there and she got strapped in, harnessed in, got the feet locked in, went right to the edge and with no hesitation, because that's just the kind of person she is, she just jumped and went right in. And it was a beautiful thing to watch from the side. I'd never want to have to experience that for myself. And then when she got off, there was someone else who was getting harnessed in. So we said, hey, well, let's just wait and watch the next person after you. So that person got harnessed in. Their feet were locked in and they kind of waddled to the edge. And they counted down. All right, three, two, one. And they went and backed up. They completely froze. And after a few minutes of talking, the person walked to the edge. You could hear them count down. Three, two, one. And they backed up again. See, they, they, they suddenly realized what they were about to do. And the fear of the moment overwhelmed them. Their fear paralyzed them. So they literally were just stuck there for over 15 minutes standing on the edge until finally they were able to get the courage to jump off the edge. See, we all face fear in our lives. Probably not the fear of jumping off a bridge, but fear is a regular thing in our lives. And often when following God, God calls us into situations that will be scary. I don't don't know if you realize that, but following Jesus doesn't mean that your life will just be easy and you'll have every clue of what's going on and you won't be scared at any moment. No, following God often leads us into fearful situations. And sometimes that fear may overwhelm us. It may often paralyze us. But since fear is a thing that happens to each and every one of us, I want us to think together this morning and look to God's word of how we should respond to fear. How we should respond to fear. So Genesis chapter 32, this morning, we're going to look at three responses to fear. And we are jumping right into the middle of the Jacob and Esau story in the book of Genesis. Now for context, Jacob and Esau, this is the original sibling rivalry. They are twins, children of Isaac and Rebekah. And right from the beginning, there's conflict, even from inside the womb. And then we see through the story as Jacob gets the birthright from Esau, then he steals his blessing from him. And the last time these two brothers were together, Esau says, as soon as our father dies, I am going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob runs away, has been gone for over 20 years, but now God has told him to go back home. And he knows that that means that he must soon face his brother. And he comes back 
into the promised land to where his brother is. And he sends messengers ahead announcing his arrival. And then the messengers come back to him in chapter 32, verse 6. It says this, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. Great news. He's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. See, Esau is a hunter, a skilled outdoorsman. And 400 men for them would have been a fighting force. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham went to battle with 318 men. King David later on in scripture often fought with 400 or 600 men. Esau is coming not with like a welcome parade. He's coming with an army. Verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He was overwhelmed with fear as to what was now approaching to him. So what did Jacob do? Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. See, the first response to, to fear in this passage is this. The first response is to rely on God. The first response to fear that we need to have in fearful circumstances is to rely on God. And what Jacob does here in this passage is shocking. If you have followed his story, if you know anything about Jacob's life, the fact that he relies on God in this moment is shocking because it goes against everything that he has ever done. See, his name, Jacob, literally means deceiver or trickster, and he's lived up to it and getting the birthright and stealing the blessing. In fact, a lot of the wealth that he had was because he got it from his father-in-law and kind of tricked him into it as well. This was a guy that there was never a situation that he couldn't get himself out of. But in this moment, in his moment of great fear, not only for his life, but for the life of his family, he cried out to God. What does he reassure himself with, look at that prayer that he models for us, this amazing prayer to God. Notice what he does is he looks back at God's faithfulness in his life. See, how someone has acted in the past is the best indicator of how they will act in the future. And so what Jacob does is he pauses and he reflects on God's faithfulness throughout his journey of his life. See, in the midst of your fear, don't forget that God is faithful. In the midst of our fear, we need not forget that God is faithful. And Jacob sits back and he realizes that God's faithfulness in the past can give him strength in this present moment where he needs it most. He demonstrates a dependence on God in even the scariest moments of life. See, in fear, 
we instinctively turn to what and who we trust the most. See, scary situations, crisis is a, is a mirror onto our character. It's a magnifying glass into our heart, revealing who we really trust. And so often what fear shows of our hearts and of our lives is that the person we trust the most is ourselves. Is that we try and do it ourselves. We can handle what life throws at us. But the proper response to fear is not to depend on ourselves, but to rely on God. So this is not new, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and some pastor is telling you, hey, you need to rely on God. We're like, well, yeah, that's, I, I get that. That's basic. But how do we know? How, how do you and I know if this is true in our lives? Because from the outside, it could look very similar. Anyone could say, oh, I'm relying on God. But how can we know in our lives that we actually are living a life of dependence upon him? Well, I believe this, the test of our dependence on God is seen in our practice of prayer. The test of our dependence upon him is seen in our practice of prayer. So when a situation arises in your life, when crisis hits, what is your first response? Because for so many of us, including myself, our natural instinct is to think through what can I do to solve this? How can I resolve this situation? We go into overdrive, we think, we scheme, we plan, and after everything else has fallen apart, we're like, oh, maybe I should ask God what he thinks. Maybe I should ask God for some help. See, prayer should not be what happens after we've exhausted every other option. It should be the first option when fear hits our lives. Now, if someone looked at you in your life this past week, if someone's looked at your life this past year, there's been a lot of change, maybe a lot of fear, a lot of circumstances that have been different. Would they see in your life through your practice of prayer, say, yeah, that person, that man, that woman, they rely on God. Or would they say, no, they're relying on their own strength and they just go to God once in a while. See, the practice of prayer in our hearts reveals who and what we're trusting. So he cries out to God, Jacob does in verse 12, and then it continues verse 13. So he stayed there that night and from with what he had, he took him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. If that sounds like a huge parade of just extravagant animals walking towards it is, it's outrageous. It's over the top what Jacob is doing in this generous gift towards his brother. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by himself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And who are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to my servant Jacob. They are present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps 
he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night at the camp. See, the second response to fear in this passage is this, is to realign your perspective. To realign your perspective. What what Jacob does here is, again, surprising. That in the face of fear, in the face of possible death of not only himself, but all of his family, he exemplifies two things that were so contrary to his life. He exemplifies humility and generosity. He exemplifies humility and generosity. Notice what he calls himself every time he refers to himself, your servant Jacob. And who is Esau? My Lord Esau. This is especially ironic if you remember back in chapter 27 in Jacob's stolen blessing that his father gave him, that it was that Jacob was to be Lord over his brothers. And his humility here is surprising, as well as this extreme act of generosity. This is the original killing someone with kindness. This would have been a shock, most likely for Esau, not only of the generosity, but that Jacob had this. Because years earlier, he had left with nothing, and now he returns with an overwhelming abundance that he freely gives. His perspective isn't on himself, but is outwards as he faces his brother. See, rather than humility and generosity, fear often drives us to self-centered thinking and living. Right? Fearful circumstances, our natural response isn't to think outward, but it's to go into a self-preservation mode. Now think back, it's already been almost a year now, but think back to when lockdowns started here in Chicago or wherever you're watching this today. No one had to go up to a podium. No government official had to go and remind everyone, hey, you should run out to the grocery store and stock up on your toilet paper and hand sanitizer. They never had to make a public announcement of that. Why? Because people were already doing it because they needed to take care of themselves. And it was almost, you may have seen instances of this crazy, what some people were doing to make sure they were preserving themselves. I thought, surely this is overblown. Surely this isn't happening. Until one day as I was going for a walk in the neighborhood in which I lived, and I came upon a car, an SUV, and they were unloading an entire trunk full with cases and cases and cases of toilet paper. And I just thought, that is crazy. Wow, the things that fear will cause us to do in order to look out for ourselves. See, fear will sometimes drive us to do irrational things to protect ourselves. And it's funny when it's hoarding hand sanitizer or or hoarding a whole bunch of toilet paper. We can look back and kind of laugh at that. But we do things in our lives all the time in response to fear, and they certainly aren't funny. See, in the name of self-preservation, what often happens is fear can cause us to build walls in our lives to protect ourselves. See, fear, the perspective in fear is often, I have to look out for me. And so what we will do is we'll build walls in our hearts and in our lives. So whenever fearful circumstances come, we're ready to protect ourselves. We will not let anyone in. We've created a shell in which we will protect ourselves. So many times these walls come from the wounds of our past. These walls are because we've been hurt in certain places. 
and letting people close to that hurt is fearful. There's anxiety there. And so rather than trusting in God, we go into self-preservation mode and close people off from our lives. So for some of us, anytime someone gets close to us relationally, we put up a wall and we push them away. And we think no one would truly love me if they knew who I really was. It's why when someone gets close to us, we, we push them away because people have abandoned our trust and broken it before. And we will never let someone, we will never trust someone again. So we build a wall for fear of what might happen to us. See, all of us can build walls of self-preservation in our lives. But when we start to grasp that we don't save ourselves, that God is the one who preserves us, we don't have to focus on just ourselves any longer. When we realize that God is the one who has promised that he will protect us, that God is our refuge and strength. God is a very present help in time of need. God is the one on whom we can rely and depend. It takes our perspective off of just me and focusing on what I have to do. And it starts to turn to an attitude of trust in God and generosity and humility towards others. See, the walls that we've been living behind can come down as we realize who God is that he is the one who preserves and protects his people. The story continues as Jacob has sent these gifts on ahead to Esau, but he stays there, it says, that night. Verse 22, that same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This mysterious man enters into the passage here. We know from what Jacob says later in this passage that he is God. Also in the book of Hosea, it speaks of Jacob wrestling with God in Hosea chapter 12. And this is the, the second theophany throughout the narratives here in Genesis, where God appears to man. And just like when he appeared to Abraham, it's a little mysterious and very veiled here at first. And there's this wrestling match going on. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. The, the tension is rising as light is starting to come and this man's identity could be revealed. I, and Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob grasps on to him. His name, Jacob, literally means to grasp the heel. But now Jacob is grasping on to God. And he knows that there's something of this man because he calls out for a blessing from him. Bless me. The only blessing Jacob's ever gotten was one that was meant for his brother that he tricked someone into. He wants a true blessing from God on his life. Verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. So what's in a name? Well, biblical, biblically speaking, there's, there's a lot in a name. So much is in the names of people. As we mentioned, Jacob literally means to grasp the heel. It's a euphemism for someone who deceives or who tricks other people. It's why when he tricks Esau in chapter 27, Esau cries out, is he not rightly named Jacob, that trickster? So this new name that God gives him, Israel, one who strives with God, is not just like, hey, cool, now when you introduce yourself, go by Israel, not Jacob. But this renaming is an utter transformation of character. It means that in his moment of greatest fear that God has shown up, that God has spoken into his life. And because God speaks, he transforms his heart and his life. And Jacob will never be the same. That's the significance of the name change. And in his moment of greatest fear, God showed up and spoke to Jacob. See, the third response to fear that we must have is to respond to his voice to respond to God's voice. See, Jacob has heard God. He has wrestled with God through the night. God has transformed his heart, his life, given him a new name. You're no longer the trickster. You're one who strives with me. And it's now up to Jacob to live his life according to what God has said is true about him. He has to respond to God's voice. See, in our fear, one of the most important questions is this. What voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? See, sometimes we listen to ourselves. And I hate to break it to you, but in case you didn't know this, you lie to yourself. You're the best person to lie to yourself because you do it all the time. You cannot always be trusted when it comes to you. What other voices do we listen to? We listen to the voice of the world's. And what it has to say, maybe we listen to the voice of people in our lives, which could be helpful, but not always. But are we in our fear looking and listening to the voice of God? Thinking, what does God say and how should my life be lived in response to what he says to me? See, your response to fear depends on whose voice you are listening to. Your response to fear depends on whose voice you are listening to. Well, this past year, my wife and I have been overjoyed to, to welcome our daughter into the world. Aria was born about eight months ago, and here she is. And yes, in my very biased opinion as a dad, she is the cutest and the very best kid in the entire world. I will vouch for it. She is amazing. And we love her, and she's such a blessing in our family. And having a child, especially your first child, is one of those life-defining moments that you'll never forget. And it was a rough pregnancy for Chris, and there was a lot of sickness, and even the delivery was a very painful and rough time. But I'll never forget, as that moment came, the doctor, right, has been called in, the, the baby's about to be born. Our doctor is in there, it's one big push, right, and the head comes out, and then nothing else happens. And I'm like, this is my first time but I'm pretty sure that's not what's supposed to happen. 
And what actually had happened is she came out sideways and so her shoulders got stuck, which is a very serious thing because in that moment, there's no oxygen getting to her and it's a very critical moment. And so our hospital room was flooded with doctors. It was a beehive of activity and what seemed like time just stood still. And I'm like, is she going to be okay? What is going on? And the next thing you know, she's out and praise God, she's perfectly fine, fully healthy and growing so quick. And when I tell people about when Aria was born, a question they often ask me is this. In that moment, right, as a parent, that is such a scary thing. When the life of your child seems to be on the line and it's out of your hands, you don't know what's going to happen. And they ask me this, were you scared in that moment? Were you fearful in that moment? And my honest answer is no, I wasn't. But it has nothing to do because like I knew everything was fine or I'm like, oh, well, this is this doctor. Let me, no, it had nothing to do with me on my own. I was panicking. But in that moment, our doctor was there and she looked up right at me, made eye contact with me. And she said, don't panic. Everything's okay. But in about five seconds, there's going to be 20 doctors in this room. And even though there was a huge beehive of activity, even though I didn't know what was going to happen to her, it was what our doctor said and how she said it. Get this, she had the same tone of voice as if she was asking me what I had planned for the weekend. She was cool, she was calm, she had everything under control. And in that moment of great fear for me, it was utterly transformed because of whose voice I was listening to. I wasn't listening to my own fears, but I was listening to her voice and it changed everything. See, life is scary. Fearful circumstances will come into our lives. Many of us are living in the middle of those fearful circumstances. The unknown is right in front of us and life is hard each and every day. And so when life is scary, we must always ask ourselves this question. What does God say? What does God say? What does he say to us? Because if our lives are lived in fear around this idea, what do I think? What do I say? What does the world say? We will miss it. We will get it wrong. But I guarantee you in whatever situation you are going through today, whatever fear you find yourself in, God has something to say to you. God's word is alive and active and it speaks to his people. And in our fear, we must listen for God's voice and respond to what he has to say. So what fear is there in your life that you're facing right now? That's causing you to tremble like Jacob was meeting his brother Esau. What has God revealed about himself that he's saying to you right now. See, as followers of Jesus, we must listen for the voice of God and respond to it. We must listen to God in the midst of our fears because it's in our fear when we hear God, it transforms everything about our situation. Just as in the midst of Jacob's fear, he heard God and it transformed everything.
So whatever you're facing today, be reminded of this, that God is faithful. You can look back at the past to give courage in the present. That God is the one who protects his people. He is our refuge and our strength. And that God speaks to us in our fear. So would you just pause this morning? Would you listen? What does God need to say to you today? What does his word have for you right now? What promises does he give to you that you can hold on to that will see you through the fearful circumstances of your life? God, we do thank you that you are an ever-present help in our time of need. God, may we listen to your voice and may it meet us in the moments of our greatest fear. God, for we know that when we meet you, when we hear your voice, it transforms us and our lives will never be the same. God, I pray for anyone this morning who is in a period of fear, this, this idea of being paralyzed by fear is not a concept, but it's their current reality. God, would you speak to them today? Speak to our hearts. Remind us of your faithfulness. God, may we live in light of the promises that you have made to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.